KYW Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. It was a real eye-opener for myself uh, to be in that type of uh, environment. The team was, you know, are we still the Broad Street Boys, or are we going to kind of join the ranks of being this fast-moving team? And so I got here in 81, uh, we went to the Stanley Cup Finals twice, and unfortunately lost. And our guest this week is former Flyers defenseman Brad Marsh and the current director of community development for the Flyers and the president of the Flyers alumni. Brad, thanks so much for coming in. Welcome. Uh, Happy to be here. Looking forward to it. So let's start off. uh, What do you do in your current roles as the director of community development and president of the alumni? Well, uh... Director Community Development really encompasses a lot of things. If you think of the Wells Fargo Center and the hockey rink, I mean, that's the Philadelphia Flyers turf, if you will. Um, And then everything that happens outside of that 85 by 185 ice surface is community development. And uh, uh, we have a big area here to cover from Delaware to New Jersey to Philadelphia and everywhere in and around the area. And so... Uh, we're in schools. We do a ton of hockey clinics. Uh, we have, uh, you know, great staff down there. We all work together. We're a team off the ice, if you will. And uh, basically, uh, we have so many outreach pro- outreach programs, and it's to to uh, not only to engage the current Flyer fans, but also create new Flyers fans. We got an unbelievable learn to play uh, hockey. We call it our rookie program, and it's just wonderful. About 1,400 kids go through that program this hockey season. They all get free equipment. It's all branded Flyers, and so it's just a, a wonderful, wonderful uh, event. So we, we do a ton of stuff, and we couldn't even capture it all here in my opening statement. <laughs> <laughs> How did this come come to pass? Did you always want to stay connected to hockey even once your player playing days were over? Well, I retired in uh, 1993. My last hockey, my, my last season playing was with the Ottawa Senators. My last season was the Senators' first season right. back into the NHL. I say back into the NHL because they had a team in the NHL in 1904, <laughs> 1905. A little before your they, time. They like to brag they won six cups, but... <laughs> There's nobody alive that saw him win those six <laughs> cups anymore. But anyhow, it's a great franchise. And when I retired the, uh, uh, with the Senators, I stayed in Ottawa. I had four kids and my wife and I, uh, who is from the Philadelphia area. You know, we wanted to, or probably it was me more than her, wanted uh, our kids to kind of grow up like I did. You know, the opportunity to play hockey in the front yard because we would freeze it or the backyard depending on where you played. And so uh, we wanted them to have a Canadian childhood, if you will. So anyhow, started to work with with the Senators. I was uh, director of team and business development up there. And being a new franchise, that that, uh, really was a wide open playing field, if you will. So anyhow, fast forward, all our kids are are uh, are graduated college. They all have great jobs after their college years. Uh, three of the four are married, and they live in various areas around North America. So we were sitting in Ottawa and saying, what the heck are we doing up here? My wife's from a very big family uh, from South Jersey. And uh, so we decided to move back four years ago. And I, uh, I've always stayed in touch with the Flyers because it's such a great organization, as everybody in your listening audience knows. And so uh, good buddies with Paul Holmgren. Um, and so one thing led to another, and uh, they had a, an opening for uh, community development. And so I sent my resume in, and away we went. So you mentioned playing hockey growing up. What is your first hockey memory? Is every childhood memory connected to hockey pretty much? Pretty much. Uh, we're a one-sport nation up there. Yes, we have the Raptors, and uh, uh, we have the, the Blue Jays, and uh, we have a Canadian Football League, which is pretty darn good football, but... We watch hockey uh-huh. and we play hockey, and uh, everybody's first Christmas present is a pair of skates from Santa Claus. Uh, you know, back then uh, there was only two teams in Canada: Montreal Canadiens and the Toronto Maple Leafs. And so you cheered for one and hated the other one. And we were a Maple Leaf family, and so uh, you know, along with the skates, when I first started skating on the rink that my dad made in in our case the front yard, we had too many trees in the backyard, but. Uh, uh, was, you know, my first Toronto Maple Leaf hockey sweater. Like, it was cool. I had the, 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 the sweater. I had the Maple Leaf gloves, the Maple Leaf socks. And 
all kinds of pictures in, in you know the old uh, old photo album of me standing proudly wearing that Maple Leaf jersey. So fast forward several years, uh, when I left Philadelphia, I went to the Toronto Maple mm-hmm. Leafs, and that was uh, one of my coolest moments as a professional hockey player uh, was when I put on the uh, Toronto Maple Leaf uh, jersey because it brought me back to my childhood. And I quite often joke if – if uh, cell phones and selfies were invented back then, I would have taken one of me in my jersey and sent it to my mom because she still had the the maple leaf. Me as a kid, as a six year old, you know, on on uh, on the fireplace mantle of me, you know, wearing the maple leaf uniform. So anyhow, there who, we go. Who was your favorite player when you were growing up? Well, I always, uh, and I guess it was the style that I ended up playing. I was like the Tim Hortons. You know, he was a very famous, uh, very good hockey player long before the coffee chain <laughs> took over Canada. <laughs> and now it's coming down. I, I read in uh, in some newspaper that there's one opening up in uh, in uh, Summerdale, New Jersey on the White Horse bike, for heaven's <laughs> sakes. But Tim Horton was a rock-solid defenseman. Uh, Johnny Bauer was the goaltender and uh, Bobby Bond and... And, you know, up there we would play hockey out, outside all the time, corner pond or the rink in mm-hmm. the front yard. And those were the players that I always was playing uh, 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 shinny hockey. And uh, I was always those guys. And so, once again, uh, when I got traded to the Toronto Maple Leafs, um, it was a thrill for me to meet those guys. Even though it was, I'm counting on my fingers here, I think it was uh, ninth or 10th season in the NHL, I had not met them because mm-hmm. they were long since retired. I never played against them. I hadn't met them before. So I'll never forget the first time I met Johnny Bauer and Bobby Bond. Of course, unfortunately, Tim Horton had passed away by then, but it was a big thrill for, for me. So you were born in Ontario, correct? In London, Ontario. London, Ontario. Yeah. So hockey is such a, and as you pointed out, is such a immersed in your part of life. I'm sure you always wanted to be a pro hockey player. Was there a moment when you realized that you could really do it, or did it just seem so natural? There's almost not that aha moment because you're just constantly playing. You don't like where exactly. I'm sewing. Yeah, and the thing is, is back when then when I played and my friends played and others that I played in the National Hockey League, you know, were from the same uh, era when we were born, and there was never an aha moment because there wasn't the the hype around it. It was still just a game. And uh, I think you could probably talk to any athlete in any of the pro sports. Um, you know, there was no mega, these youth all-star teams mm-hmm. that travel the world for heaven's sakes and, and, and play hockey. And I was chuckling. I was at the, the skate zone the other day in Pensacola for a warrior hockey practice. And we'll talk about that later. And there was a minor hockey team there from, uh, uh, I forget where they're from, but man, were they decked out matching everything. And I, and I made a comment to whomever was sitting beside me. I didn't have matching equipment to like play junior hockey. Right. And uh, it was just, it's such a big animal now. But back to our childhood is uh, we played hockey, learned to play hockey on the corner pond or the, the rink in, in, at your house. And and I didn't start playing hockey, uh, organized hockey till, till much later. And on Saturday, you know, as soon as the sun come up, you were down playing with all your buddies and whoever came to that corner pond mm-hmm. and froze over. And you had to leave that to go to your organized hockey practice. Come on, come on, Bradley, time to get off the rink. Come on, one more minute, Dad. And, and, and the organized part of the game was almost an inconvenience because you were playing on the open ice, and mm-hmm. it was a riot. And uh, so I just played hockey, Southwest London Bobcats. That was where I lived, London, Ontario. And we just, you just play for your little corner of the city. And uh, – uh, you know, Rob Ramage, who who was a good friend of mine, played for the Flyers mm-hmm. as well. You know, he played for Byron. And Pat Riggin, who was a uh, Vezina winning uh, goaltender, uh, you know, he played for Huron Heights. And uh, it was quite a neat time in minor hockey. We had all kinds of players that went on to play in the NHL, but we never played together like they would now. Mm-hmm. And so the point that I'm making is we just played hockey and uh, I got bigger and a little better. And so I moved on to the junior B team. And but still, I was just playing a game and happy to do it. I still went to school every day and uh, uh, and you know worked at a hockey school in the summertime. And it wasn't until my last year, my last year of junior hockey with the London Knights, um, uh, as a nineteen-year-old back then, it was a twenty-year-old draft. Now it's an eighteen-year-old mm-hmm. draft, and, uh, and I had a, a real good season. And 
Uh, I'd been captain of the team for a couple of years, and um, and um, the coach said to me uh, after our first playoff round win, he says, uh, you just went up several spots in the draft today, Brad. And I says, what do you mean? And and obviously I knew the NHL was there for me, but I didn't live and breathe it, breathe it like the young kids do today. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I often say I uh, wanted to be a professional hockey player and I wanted my, my dream was to play in the NHL, but I didn't l- live it. Um, I played it, you know, on the on the ice, you know, and uh, in the summertime I played it on the road. We played road hockey. And uh, so anyhow, I dreamed of playing in the NHL, and because I did, I had a great life. Whereas there's far too many young athletes now that want a great life. They want an expensive car. They want this. They want this. So they play a sport of some kind. Mm-hmm. And there's to me, there's something missing in the equation there. Like, And so players from my era, and people often say they watch a professional sport, and they say, you know, their players are great. They're, they're, they're big. They're fast. They're talented. They seem to be better than the decades before. But a lot of times that's also, but there's something missing. And I think what's what's missing about it is is the fun aspect. It's a business now. Right. And uh, once again, you know, I learned to play the game on a pond with 20, 30, 40 other people. If I wanted to puck, I had to go get it. There's mm-hmm. none of this fair play crap that goes on now in minor sports. And, and now in, in minor sports, they learn the game standing behind a cone or a pylon waiting for the coach's whistle to go. So therefore, they're very good at going around the, the pylon, but are they good when someone's hacking and whacking and chopping them and, and all that stuff? So anyhow, uh, to answer your question, it was when I played, it was a game, and things worked out with the game that I was playing. So growing up, did you gravitate to being a defenseman, or was that just something somebody put you there once you get to juniors and you're good at it and it goes from there. No, I played uh, forward. I played uh, center uh, when I first started. Uh, everybody wants to be a center, right? And uh, but I was the biggest kid, uh, you know, that came out for the team. And so the the, the coach Bruce Stewart uh, was his name. I was very fortunate to have him for five straight years in minor hockey. Big influence on me. But he put me back on defense, and I've played I played defense ever since. And it's interesting. You were very much you were a defensive defenseman like I think as the game has gone on we're more used to guys that attack and you know stuff like that you were about a, a, as much of a blue liner as as there is did you enjoy that role would you have liked to have been a guy that went and got it or are you just whatever the oh, team everybody needed like scoring man <laughs> <laughs> and uh you know whenever I scored it was like a huge celebration <laughs> in the Marsh household for heaven's sakes uh but you know that's you know I scored a fair amount um, in junior hockey, and but when I got to the NHL, there's a lot of good players up mm-hmm. there, and so I got uh, I don't know if pigeonholed is the is the right term, but I got labeled or pigeonholed. I was defensive defenseman, so I took pride in that. But a lot of times people ask, like, would you change anything? And, and looking back, no, but I would have continued really to work on my offensive skills more than I did. I just uh, relished the fact that I was a defensive defenseman. I was put out in defensive roles, and I really, uh, really, really uh, took that to heart. But um, when I speak to, 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 to kids or young athletes, I, I quite often say is don't let yourself be pigeonholed. Don't let yourself be labeled. Yes, be good at what you mm-hmm. do, but continue to work on your weaknesses. That'll make you a better all-around player. Was I ever going to be Mark Howe? No, but I could have worked at it a little bit harder. So I could have chipped in offensively here and there. And because like I said, everybody likes scoring. Mm-hmm. And uh, so anyhow, I don't I don't uh, regret a thing, but I would have worked on my shot a little bit more. I would have worked on this a little bit more. But but I think there you have to have a special mindset to be the type of player you were because you're doing dirty work. You're not getting headlines, but you are critical to team success. And I don't think all athletes are wired to handle that type of role. Yeah, especially in today's professional mm-hmm. sports because there's so many instant stories out there with the, with the texts and the tweets and all things that I don't understand. Uh, but, uh, you know, players like myself, um, they're very valuable on any team in any sport. And I've said made the comparison to any sport several times, but... 
uh, a lot of times the type of players that I was and others like me are, uh, they don't show up in the stats and mm-hmm. they don't show up in in the videos and, and so on. But if you ask the teammates or if you ask the coach or the manager, they're very important piece of that building block. Time for a break on one-on-one. We will have more with Brad Marsh right after this. They're on a journey through breweries and watering holes throughout the region. It actually tastes like apple pie in a glass. Okay, I'm getting it now. Now I'm getting the pie. John McDevitt and Paul Kurtz are the Beer and Booze Bros. Don't miss any of their podcasts. That's all I need, another addiction. On the Radio.com app or wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back on one-on-one. Our guest this week, former Flyers defenseman Brad Marsh. So you get drafted in the first round in 78 by Atlanta, and it's the Atlanta Flames, right? Yeah. And it's the that are now the Calgary Flames. What's the draft like in 1978? We see what it is now on the NHL Network and all that. What was it in 1978? How did you learn that you were going to Atlanta? Well, it wasn't the event that it is now. And uh, I went to Montreal. I was um, rated to to go in the first round. I really didn't know where I was going to go. And so, you know, the first round draft picks uh, were, the potential first round draft picks were, you know, we were invited to Montreal. But the draft was just at a hotel in their grand ballroom, and we just—I just sat in the audience, if you will, with my parents, mm-hmm. and uh, just waited for your name to be called. There was some rumors that I was going to be drafted fourth overall by uh, the Cleveland Barons, um, but they folded, <laughs> and they merged with Minnesota, uh, so Minnesota didn't get their pick. Um, and so there was no fourth pick. And so, um, you know, my agent at the time, um, but once again, back, I was drafted in 78, there's only two agents and really? uh, Al Eagleson and, and Norm Kaplan. And now there's like thousands and thousands of agents. It, it was incredible. And so, uh, whatever agent you were with, they had a pretty good feel on where the various players might go. And so, uh, and so my, my agent said, well, Cleveland's obviously not going to pick you now. They folded, and you know Philadelphia of all, uh, ironically, had some interest, and uh, Detroit Red Wings had expressed some interest. And uh, so, anyhow, as the draft goes on, and the and the drafts are always interesting because there's always a team that picks somebody from no one's ever heard of. Right? It, like, are your scouts that much better than the other? <laughs> throws scouts? everything off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, so anyhow, uh, you know, the Flyers, they had two first round picks. They drafted Ben Wilson and, and Ken Lindsman and, uh, the Detroit Red Wings, um, they were, they were picking, uh, uh, 10th and 12th. And so, uh, you know, the Flyers didn't pick me with their, they had back to back, I think it was six and seven that year. And, uh, and then Montreal Canadians drafted ninth and I was hoping I didn't go to Montreal because Montreal was the powerhouse. Mm-hmm. If you got drafted by the Canadians, like they had Serge Savard, Guy Lapointe, and Larry Robinson, three of the best defensemen ever to play for heaven's sake, you, the chances of you cracking that lineup were slim and none. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyhow, uh, Detroit took uh, uh, Willie Huber, another defenseman from the Ontario Hockey League, and then the Atlanta Flames at, with the 11th pick drafted me, and I, and I got to be honest, and I've said this many times, Atlanta Flames, like down south, like my first thought was, is there's no snow? Like, yeah. is there hockey down there? Uh, because once again, back then, the hockey in Canada, well, it wasn't shown in the States except in the local markets. Mm-hmm. Um, There's never no national coverage, but in, in, uh, in Canada, we had hockey on Wednesday and Saturday, hockey night in Canada. And uh, as I said earlier, there's only two teams, Toronto and Montreal. So those are the only teams. So, you heard or you knew there was a team in, in, in Atlanta, but I I couldn't even have told you a single player on the Atlanta Flames when I was drafted by them. Right. But anyhow, um, but there's no, uh, I sat in the stands, there's no going up to the table like there is now and going on stage and getting the jersey to right. put on and all that stuff. And so I didn't meet the Atlanta Flames until the draft was, was over. And uh, and I didn't get a jersey from them at all. I got went home to London, Ontario and I went to uh, the sporting goods store, um, and they had an Atlanta jersey there, so I bought it, 
with my own money, <laughs> and I, I put it on, and then I went to the local t- radio, uh, TV show who wanted to do an interview on me, obviously, CFBL, Pete James and CFBL, and I bought my own Atlanta Flames jersey and went and got interviewed. How does it feel to be drafted by Atlanta Flames? And, of course, it, it was awesome. I had already agreed to a contract, and, uh, you know, they, they offered me a contract, and, and my agent was there, and my dad was here, and they, and they offered it. And, I said, okay, deal. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I'm getting kicked under the table. Like, shut up. We're negotiating here. So anyhow, uh, first-round pick, 11th overall, I got a whopping $55,000, and uh, which was way more than my the previous players were making. Mm-hmm. But people often chuckle now when I tell them, you know, the first-round pick, oh, you play in the National Hockey League. You, you must be loaded. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. So anyhow— uh, it, it was great being drafted, and, and once I got to training camp, it, it was just a wonderful. We had a good team in Atlanta, a really good team. 78, was the WHA still an option, or that were, they were coming to the end there, but yeah. was it still a possibility? It's still a possibility, but I made it clear right from the get-go, once again, opening my, my big mouth and, and weakening my negotiating <laughs> power. I, I just I said that I had no interest in playing in the, in the WHA, because... Once again, the kid growing up on the pond, it's, you know, it's, I'm playing for the Toronto Maple mm-hmm. Leafs, and I'm in the NHL, and I'm in the Stanley Cup Finals, and it just didn't even, never even crossed my mind. So you make your debut, I've got it down, October 11, 78 versus the Blackhawks. Yep. So what are you, 20? 20. You skate out? Well, actually 21, because I had turned You turned, turned 21? 21. Okay. Yeah. So you skate out for warm-ups for that first game. What is going through your mind? Or is it just hockey in a bigger place? No. Well, to a certain extent, hockey in a bigger place. But it was Chicago Stadium. And you get dressed like down in the basement and you have to walk up to the stairs to get onto the ice. And and it was one of them old rinks where the fans just seemed to be right on you. And I think everybody's heard of the legendary organ that was in Chicago Stadium. And it's playing... <laughs> And, you know, Keith Magnuson, you know, his big thing, he was always the first Blackhawk on the ice, and he did all these three laps. And uh, it just got the crowd wound up, and you're looking at this Tasmanian devil skating around the ice. And But the little-known fact is Bobby Orr was playing with the with the Chicago Blackhawks because he had a big fight with the Bruins, and he signed, and he played like 10 to 15 games mm-hmm. with, the, with the Blackhawks. And but his knees were shot, and so anyhow, my first game uh, was against the Blackhawks and Bobby Orr, one of the few games, and so that was really cool for me. And I actually ended up in the corner uh, with them, you know, <laughs> fighting for the pucker, and uh, so it was cool. We tied four four, and and it was just awesome. I remember the trainer Norm Mackey, who uh, when the Flames moved to Calgary. Uh, Norm Mackey came to Philadelphia to be the trainer. And uh, he said to me b- before the game, he says, you think you're nervous? You should see how nervous Bobby Orr is. Whether he was pulling my leg or that was a true story mm-hmm. or he, he'd been around hockey his whole life and he was trying, saying something to calm me down. But anyhow, I think Bobby Orr's nervous. What the heck do I have nerve- to be nervous about? So anyhow, it was a wonderful start to my career. Did you feel like speed of the game and all that? Did it feel comfortable or first few shifts are things going a million miles an hour? Nah, from what I re- remember now sitting here is uh, I stepped right in and, and everything everything was good. I had, a, I had a good rookie season, although I didn't score a goal the whole my whole rookie year. Um, uh, but that was beside the point. I mean, I did win you know the, the best defenseman for the Flames. Mm-hmm. I won the, the rookie of the year for the Flames, not the whole NHL. But uh, it was a good, good, steady, solid year that I had there. Now, you did score your first goal, though, the, in your second season, and you scored it against the Flyers, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, the Flyers and Phil Mir in the net. And uh, I love uh, when we go to a, a banquet and Phil happens to be there or we're, uh, Phil's involved with the NHL alumni. As I'm on the, the board of the NHL alumni as well. And so quite often we're in the same place, and I love pointing that out, that I scored my first goal because I didn't score much, as we touched on earlier, and so right away everyone thinks that, Phil's a bad goalie because <laughs> I scored on him. But uh, anyhow, yeah, but they went on their unbeaten streak right? Uh, after we beat him. We beat him in, in Atlanta in the Omni. Uh, and I, you know, a couple, and I had my uh, first fight against the Flyers the previous year, though. Uh, my first fight was against the Flyers, but it was against Mel Bridgman. And then the following year, I scored my first goal against the Flyers. And then fast forward to 
uh, the Ottawa Senators. Oh, before I get there, I was trading Trade for Mel Bridgman. <laughs> yeah, and I'm maybe screwing up your notes it's for Calgary, <laughs> but uh, I was traded for Mel Bridgman, captain for captain, which does not happen very right. often. But fast forward to 92, 93, Mel was the general manager of the Ottawa Senators, and I was a free agent, and he signed me to to play in Ottawa. So a lot of connections with Philadelphia and, and Mel Bridgman and so on. That is something. So you were there when they went Atlanta to Calgary. You yes. Were, what was that like? Was that – I mean, you're from Canada, so it's not the, oh, my goodness, this is – uh, I'm changing my entire life thing. It was more for you coming to Atlanta, I'm sure. But yeah. what's that like? Uh, it was pretty cool news. And uh, it's pretty cool news. I think all the younger, the single guys were ecstatic about it because we were going back to Canada type of thing where we would be the talk of the town. And, you know, down down in Atlanta, no disrespect to the fans because we had, we had good fans uh, down there just not enough of them on mm-hmm. a continuous basis. And and as good as the Atlanta Flames were, we never won a playoff series. We never advanced. And it doesn't matter what sport it is. If if you don't win, the fans lose interest. And right. so that was a big thing. We, we, we lost in the playoffs. And we had a top six team. We were a good hockey team. and But we never had it, had the success that, uh, you know, creates or cultivates a fan base. So uh, I think a lot of people were very excited about the move. Um some of the the guys that had been there a long time uh, and had families and the kids were in school, uh, they were worried or concerned about the school, how their kids would adapt and all that. But, you know, we all got to Calgary. It snowed. The kids loved it, man. Right. Tobogganing and sleighing and skating and they loved it. And some of the some of the older guys, uh, you know, with the, the wife that who may have been from this southern states or they never adapted mm-hmm. their kids did uh so there was a feeling out process in calgary uh but we had success there as i said we were welcomed in open arms we were the talk of the town and and in, in atlanta you could read the sports page and <laughs> you know what page were the atlanta flames going right. to be on there but now we walk the city and i know you and i know you and hey brad hey brad how you doing and let me buy you a beer bingo <laughs> So it was pretty cool. Like a lot of us went up for the Calgary Stampede, which is this big traditional, you know, horses everywhere and rustling cattle. And it's really cool event. And we were all part of the Stampede Parade. We're all given horses for the day. So we're riding around Calgary, a major city in North America, on horseback. Wow. Pretty cool. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, so it's cool. So you mentioned you're traded for Mel Bridgman. You come to the Flyers in November of 81. What is going through your mind? I mean, first time you're traded, I'm sure it's kind of a rush of of emotions and stuff, but you're going to a team that's a premier team in the NHL. Yeah. um, It was interesting because the Flames, we played Philadelphia in the playoffs the year before in the uh, um, second round, third round. But anyhow, we beat them game seven in the old spectrum. And it was a really cool environment. And uh, um, I had a real good playoff against the Flyers. And my assignment was, you know, to be basically on the ice whenever Paul Holmgren was on the ice. That was tough. He was a mean son of a gun. Uh, <laughs> I, I say mean, just hard to play against because he, he was a, the ultimate competitor. Um, so anyhow, yeah, you know, I was always early at the dressing room and always liked to show up early and, and you know, practice. That day was no exception. I go in, get in there. I was the first one in the dressing room and the trainer says, oh, you know, Cliff wants to see you. Cliff Fletcher, general manager. Uh, father of Chuck Fletcher, the GM wow. for, the, for the Flyers. <laughs> the uh, connections are incredible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And uh, um, so anyhow, uh, I go up to see Cliff and I didn't think anything of it because as captain of the team, mm-hmm. as I mentioned, and, you know, maybe wanted to talk about the mood of the team because we had great success the year before. We got off to a little bit of a slow start and, uh, mood of the team and this and this. And I walk in and he's there and sit down and Brad, we traded you like what? <laughs> and so I am not embarrassed. I, I cried like a baby man. Like, and so I just got up and said, thank you. And went to see the trainers and got my equipment, went home, packed my stuff, went to the airport, flew to Philadelphia and, and, uh, um, Mr. Snyder's uh, driver at the time, uh, I think his name was John, Big John. Um, I could have that wrong. But anyhow, he picked me up at the airport and 
uh, went to practice and what was really neat about it is the same 20 guys in the flames dressing room that I just said goodbye to are basically the same 20 guys in the fires dressing room. Mm-hmm. The, the dressing room mentality is the same. And, uh, but anyhow, we played the very next night. Uh, I got here on a Wednesday. We played the next night, uh, in the spectrum or at the spectrum, uh, versus the Hartford whalers. And, uh, Things were good. I got second star of the game, and so it was all good. The worst thing about the trade is I had to wear them damn Cooperall pants, <laughs> which, one, are ugly, and two, in my opinion, were unsafe, especially for me because I blocked a lot of shots. Right. And so you're used to wearing, at those t- in those times, these old, the old wool socks. And so you, you would time yourself to go down to block a shot, and the wool socks would create the friction on, on the ice, especially like halfway through the period when there's snow on it. Mm-hmm. So when you went down to block a shot, you usually stuck like Velcro. Whereas you got these damn nylon things on now. One, it just changes the whole way you tape your shin pads. Because I used to tape my sock, my, my pads on the outside of my socks like most hockey players did. But now with these nylon shells, you had to put them over top of your shin pads and you had to tape your shin pads basically to your skin. Mm-hmm. So everything was off. And you'd go down to block a shot with the nylon. You'd just keep sliding on the ice, and so all of a sudden, pucks were hitting you where they're not supposed to hit you. <laughs> and uh, so anyhow, we often joke, especially the guys from that team and the Hartford Whalers was the only two NHL teams that ever experimented with those pants. Thank goodness they got rid of them. <laughs> so you feel comfortable right away in Philadelphia, and what jumps out at you as far as what the Flyers are bringing to the table? Because, you know, this is a team... The guys that won the Cups have moved on, but there's like a new... They've got a lot of talent still in the room, and and they're ready to do a lot of damage. Yeah, I often say, um, like I mentioned, Atlanta, we never won a playoff run. We had a great team. Uh, And no disrespect to my teammates, and I was the captain of the team, as I said. Um, We didn't have the leadership, and I didn't understand that until I went to Philadelphia. And so as soon as I walked in the dressing room at Philadelphia... I could feel or sense the difference mm-hmm. that it was, you know, you come to practice to work and because of the work you put in practice, that'll make you make you better as a team in the game. It was just different. The attitude was different. The expectations of your teammates or the expectations of the guy sitting beside you was different. And uh, obviously that come from the leadership in the dressing room, Bobby Clark. And, uh, so it was it was a real eye opener for myself uh, to be in that type of a, uh, environment. Um, the team, as you said, was you know are we still the Broad Street Boys right. or are we going to kind of join the ranks of being this fast moving team? And so I got here in eighty one. Pat Quinn was the coach. Um, he was fired uh, wrongly, in my opinion. Um, seven games left, nine games left in in that mm-hmm. season, and everyone like what the heck's going on? Uh, but the team was in transition. They didn't know what right. they wanted to be. And uh, so it took a while. Um, and uh, Mike Keenan showed up on the stage in 84, 85. Bobby Clark retired, became GM. Um, and um, that kind of established a new identity for the team was that 84, 85 team. And so uh, it, it was, it, it, that was fun, fun four years. Uh, we went to the Stanley Cup Finals twice and unfortunately lost both times. So a pretty good team, though. In Probably the best team, team ever, ever built. Yeah. You know, they got seven guys in the Hall of Fame, and, and we, we've got one, Mark Howe, who was put in two or three years ago mm-hmm. or, or whatever. So that that was just an unbelievably good team from fourth line all the way to Wayne Gretzky. Right. And uh, we probably should have won... Game seven, but um, in eighty seven, in eighty seven, yeah, and even in eighty five, every every game was a one goal game, with the exception of the last game, game five. Um, so those games could have went either way as well. But if you look at eighty five team and the eighty seven team, we had a lot of injuries. Mm-hmm. Pelly was injured in eighty five, and Tim Kerr, you know, he he was injured in eighty seven. Uh, Davey Poulin playing with broken ribs. Brad McCrimmon was injured, and. The list goes on and on and on, and we were just a ragtag team by the time we got to the Game 7 of the 87 Finals. What are your memories? I mean, for me, uh, the J.J. Daniel yeah. goal in Game 6, yeah. that was, I mean, 
Loud, loudest the spectrum. It, it ever just was. you almost thought yeah. the roof came off in the sixties. You thought it might come yeah. off again. Yeah. I mean, but what for you? What were some of the other memories of those runs? Not just the finals, but those special seasons that just come flooding back. Yeah, well, that goal is right there, and um, you know we were behind in the series, three games to one. We came back uh, in game six. We were down. We were behind in the game. We came back tied and obviously won it. And, and that goal was just. Fabulous, and they have all those meters in the old spectrum, so they can turn the ACDC down and Metallica or whatever mm-hmm. band would come in there. Boys, you got to turn your amplifiers down. The building's shaking, so they know how loud it was. And they tell us that when JJ scored, it was the loudest the building ever, like way louder than any rock concert that was ever in there. And uh, so that was such a cool moment, and. Uh, but there's so many great memories, like with the Philadelphia. You know, I, I remember like no one picked us to make the playoffs, let alone go to the finals in '84, '85. And we had seven guys under the age of 21, and uh, but we just gelled mm-hmm. as a team. And uh, like that first year, um, you know, we 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 got out of our division because back then you played your division one versus four, and so that's we played the damn Rangers all the time. We finished 50 points in front of them and they beat us in the first round. And so there, that first time we played them there, there was a lot of, a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but you now the, the series we had against the Quebec Nordiques is, you know, to, to, to win that series, to go to the Stanley cup finals for the first time. Um, and the first time in my career, um, that win against the Nordiques really, really put us on the map and people saying like, maybe they are for real. Um, but you know, like I said, there's just so many great memories from those four years. So you're with the Flyers. I think you spent seven years with yep. the Flyers. Yep. Uh, and then you end up after that. And well, for, before we get to that, what was Mike Keenan like to play for? Um, I understand why so many of my teammates hate him and perhaps continue to hate him. Uh, he was a, a tough coach, a ruthless coach. But if you look at the Mike Keenan when he was here, um, a lot of players had career years, and myself included. And so I, I, I understand why people didn't like him, and I have my own, I guess, beasts with him. But he was good for Mike Keenan was good for Brad Marsh. Um, Mike liked to play four D, and I was one of the four. So that usually equates into you like the coach because mm-hmm. you're playing 30 minutes, 25, 30 minutes a game. And so, uh, but I got better. I was a better player after playing with Mike Keenan or playing for Mike Keenan. Uh, but as I said, there's a lot of players that had career years under Mike. And so Mike did make players better. Uh, but the way he made them better wears pretty thin uh, over a period of time. And so I, I think there's a lot of players that say would say that they liked Mike and he made him a better coach, but then there's a lot of guys that uh, were better under Mike, but they can't stand his guts. Need to take another break here on One on One. More with Brad Marsh right after this. It's the smart look at the issues catching fire in Philadelphia. Flashpoint. What we have is a crisis. This goes way beyond just the perpetrator. You know how many times I had stopped people in front of my house from shooting up? It was a moment where black and brown people on the margins got to say, no, we've been hurting. I think we forget that you came from somewhere else, too. Host Cherry Gregg walks you through the flames. On air Saturday evenings at 9.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30. Or search the Flashpoint podcast on the Radio.com app. And we're back here on one-on-one, continuing our conversation with Brad Marsh. So you spent seven years with the Flyers. Do you think you're going to play out your career with the Flyers? Or um, I didn't really know what to think um, in the 87-88 season. Um, I banged my head pretty bad uh, against the Boston Bruins Um I was racing for the puck with Ray Bork. And oh, Cam I remember yeah. watching this in real time. Yeah, and uh, hit my head on the on the stanchion between the benches and cut it here, and then I fell back on the ice and cut it on the back, and I was laying in a pool of blood. And I still see people today, you know, long-time Flyer fans. I was at that game, thought you were dead. and uh, But anyhow, I was taken off the ice in, in a stretcher. I go to the hospital. It was funny because, and I tell this story uh, often, as it was before cell phone. And so my wife was sitting at home uh, with uh, two kids 
under the age of two or two and a half and younger, a newborn and, and, and Eric. And uh, she's watching this and she's looking at our landline mm. of all things. Like somebody call me, somebody call me and nobody called because I was in the, the Zamboni tunnel at the, at the spectrum. And so it wasn't until much, much later that someone thought to put in 10 cents into the payphone and call my wife. And, uh, and, uh, at that time, you know, we had a knock, my wife says we had a knock on her door and it was the teenage boy that lives next door and said, my dad says you might need a babysitter. <laughs> so anyhow, off my wife comes to the, meets me at the hospital. So I go in the hospital, I'm there, I'm fine. Uh, you know, I responded good to all the stuff they're doing and, uh, I said I was hungry, and so I ordered a pizza. And and they said, they joke, because we knew you were okay when you're hungry and you're eating. Right. And then the doctor come in and says, Ron Hextall just scored. And I said, oh, I'm really screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm shaking my head. and said, what did you just say? Well, anyhow, Hexy scored that right. night. And, that was uh, the same game? Same game. Wow. Same game, yeah. And uh, so anyhow... People always talk about the first goalie to score a real goal right. in the NHL game. And were you on the ice? Were you there? <laughs> well, no, no. And I was in the hospital. And uh, so that's the So Anyhow, um, I came back, major, major concussion. I think I missed two or three games. Uh, came back, and, and the doctors made me wear a helmet. So I wore a yeah, helmet. Yeah, you were a helmetless player when you got slammed into that stanchion. Correct. Like, that's a, an important point here yeah. that... Exactly. Right. And so I wore a helmet the rest of the season, and uh, um, and during that time, um, I was never hit with so many high sticks, elbows, cheap shots, hit from behind, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and so it was an interesting parallel. Um, but anyhow, I thought it was okay, thought I was playing. I had a, several big, oh, we'll call them conversations with Keenan, because uh, he wanted to bench me, he wanted to do this, and and uh, I found out later that you know to prove a point to me, he was going to move my equipment out of the dressing room and down the hall, and uh, Clarky saw or heard what he was doing, and Clarky stepped in and says, "You can't do that." So anyhow, this all this shit was happening, and which I didn't know at the time, but anyhow. Um, you know, the end of the season came and the Flyers were, you know, okay, we have to make some changes. Uh, I think this Stanley Cup team that we had from 84 to 87, I think, you know, we have to kind of make right. some changes. And so I was one of the guys that they deemed was uh, changeable because they did not think that I was ever going to get back to my old self after the concussion. And, uh, so the thing that I, 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 I like to point out is I, I commented earlier that I was, you know, traded to, I ended up in, in Toronto, but I wasn't traded there. I was released right. by the, I was picked up on the waiver draft. And I'll never forget that. It was come home after practice and it was wavering back in those days. If you were exposed in the waiver draft, it usually meant the, the kiss of death. Mm-hmm. Like your career was over. So Clarky calls and says, uh, Brad, we, uh, exposed you in the waiver draft and the Toronto Bay police picked you up and, and I couldn't comprehend it. Like, what do you mean? I was protected. Yeah, but we wanted to pick up Doug Solomon. There's your trivia question. <laughs> what did he ever do for the team? Nothing. Um, not that I was keeping score. Right. Um, and I, I just couldn't comprehend it. So I said, well, thanks. And then the Toronto Bay police called said, hey, welcome to the team, and so on and so on. And uh, so, you know, it was sinking in. I was, it was trying, my team as a kid growing up was sinking, sinking in. And, and then all the guys from the team show, uh, started showing up at the house to say, holy crap, I can't believe what just happened. And, of course, they showed up with beer. <laughs> and so, you know, that's what's neat about hockey, We're really close-knit right. uh, team. And so we were having a bunch of beer and, uh, and so on. And then uh, Clarkie called me. And, and said, do you mind if I come over? And uh, so he come over and it was all good. Right. I mean, we, I understand. Mm-hmm. Like it's, he had to make a decision and he thought that I, my career was done. And so he made a, a decision for the betterment of, of the team. We, I get that. And so he came over and there's still some guys left and, 
uh, Clark, he was very good friends with uh, my wife's family. My wife's from a huge family, so he he knew a good number of uh, my wife's uh, older siblings, and so he they were there too. And he came over, and so we ended up we had a good time. And then Mr. Schneider called me, and uh, oh man, <laughs> and uh, he he thanked me for all the years I put in, and off I went to Toronto. I mean, but. You see you're back with the Flyers, and it's not yeah. hard to see why you're back with the yeah. Flyers. Yeah, and so, like, Mr. Snyder called, and it, that was nice. That was really cool. But the next morning, I'd loaded up my stuff, but gone, or, you know, back in those days, you basically moved yourself. Now right. the moving trucks show up. At the yeah. House, and the players don't have to do anything. Well, in this, in most cases, it's the wife that has to move everybody because we go play hockey, and, you know, in my case— Patty was, she had two kids, as I, you know, I said earlier. And, uh, um, so they have to make all the arrangements. And so luckily we were in Toronto. Um, I had gone up for training camp. I found a place for us to, to live. And so, uh, um, you know, we were going to move some of our furniture up there. We kept our house in, in Cherry Hill. We we're going to move some of our furniture up there. Had an old yellow pickup truck, 1972, New, uh, state of New Jersey department of highways truck. <laughs> Uh, number 272. It was yellow, and that's what I bought when I got traded to Philadelphia. And uh, and then we had, uh, uh, what was the other car? Uh, bought it from Bob Froze. <laughs> and we loaded up the cars, and we were driving up to, to Toronto, and, and Patty's uh, mom and dad uh, came with us. Uh, and uh, her aunt and uncle, they, they drove up another car because – there's no moving right. company, so we're saving money here, mm-hmm. so we're loading up the cars. So I got old Yeller, as we referred to it. Me and Patty are driving old Yeller, and we got all the, it looks like the hillbillies, like the back. With, <laughs> right. So it 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 breaks down uh, just past Binghamton. The water pump broke on it. So I had to limp off the highway, get a new water pump put on it, and then here I come into Toronto. And, of course, Toronto, they were pretty pumped to have me, and the, the press is waiting for us to pull in and, I put in this old yellow pickup truck and they're all going, what the heck is this? And so anyway, I was quite comical. And, uh, um, uh, so my, my time in Toronto was, was, was good. And you got a, uh, you played a little in Detroit and then you mentioned you wrapped up that year with the expansion Ottawa team. Actually yeah. made, you went to the all-star game yeah. and scored a goal in the yeah. all-star game. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That was, that was cool. Um, yeah, Toronto, Toronto was great. Detroit was good. Stevie Eisman, Nick Lindstrom, uh, Konstantinov, Fedorov had a good, good team. That's a pretty good group. Uh, we were, should have been in the Stanley Cup Finals, but things happened and we didn't make it. And then uh, I had two good years there. Um, and then uh, the last year my contract was an option year, and it, that option year reverted back to Toronto. Um, but they um, – and Cliff Fletcher – was not with the Flames anymore. He was the GM in Toronto, the original guy that drafted me mm-hmm. uh, in Atlanta. And uh, he said to me, he says, okay, we're going to honor this, your option year, but you're probably not going to play a lot here. They just hired Pat Burns, and so they were changing mm-hmm. over too. Uh, but if, if you can find another team that wants you, I'll be happy to facilitate it. So anyhow, I started knocking on doors, and I ended up with the, with the Ottawa Senators. And uh, it was, uh, like I said, the, the last... Uh, uh, number and I'm counting up here. The, you know, the last three years in Toronto, where my career was supposed to be done, were wonderful. Uh, and then the two years in in, in Detroit was was good. So, so I played another six years after I left. Uh, you know, Philadelphia. So it was uh, it was good. I was determined to one outplay Doug Solomon, uh, <laughs> and two the coach that took over. I was in Toronto two and a half years, and people often say like, "What was that like?" And I says, "Well, it was great, but." No wonder they're a dysfunctional team. Harold Ballard, right? I don't know if you remember that name. Senile owner and bad owner, and and you know I was there two and a half years. Had five coaches, and you know it's just that's you know impossible I, to I have. I mentioned success. when I came to Philadelphia, I noticed the difference right away. Mm-hmm. But same thing when I left Philadelphia and went to Toronto, last place team. I noticed the difference right away. In, in Philly, we had Pat Croce, who was the first off-ice guru, fitness guru. Right. We had a weight room. We had this. We had this. In Toronto, they had one broken-down exercise bike. That's all they had. 
and uh, they didn't do any extra uh, weight training, any extra training. It, it was a, a farce. And and uh, I'll, I'll tell a, a story there. Like when I got there, one of our first practices, John Brophy was the coach, and they divide the team up into fours, and the defense were in this corner. And it was an aerobic skate. You know, you skate around the rink. Mm-hmm. And after coming from Philadelphia, where you really held your, your teammates accountable to work hard, and if you weren't working hard, one of the teammates would pull you aside and say, pull your socks up. I get to Toronto, and uh, I won't mention any names because it's, it's not fair, but the defense were in the corner, and the one defense and says, Marshy, this is how we do it here. We leave, and we're six times around the rink. We leave, and, and I'm going to lead the first lap. And then I'll kind of drop back and another guy will lead the next lap. So we just take turns jockeying for that first lap. Everyone kind of skates the same. That's how we do it here. I'm thinking to myself, uh, you're in last place. Yeah. Um, how be, I, I'm going to do it how I want to do it. So anyway, I took off and I lapped him because I was in good shape. Like that's one of the things I prided myself on, especially in the last half of my career is, and so I says, well, I'll do it how I want. And, uh, I took off and I lapped him. And uh, I wasn't well liked in the dressing room, but slowly uh, the players that were potential leaders in right. the dressing room and the players that were fence sitters, um, they were slowly, oh, and I'm tired of losing. I'm tired of doing it loudmouth's way. Right. So they started to gravitate towards the work ethic that mm-hmm. I learned in Philadelphia. And, you know, we that year we made the playoffs first time in, I, I forget how many years of Maple Leaf history, you know, we made the playoffs. And uh, so it, it was a real cool experience in Toronto. And uh, um, and and uh, the fifth coach that we had there, Tom Watt, uh, he was a college coach and he wanted to try things his way. So I went from playing lots to not playing. Right. Because I didn't fit his style. Mm-hmm. Once again, I understand that. So I ended up going to De- Detroit and... Uh, once again, I was determined to play longer than he was head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs, and I did. Did you, when does ending your playing days, what what leads to it? You played the one year in Ottawa where you... Well, I fully expected to play another year in Ottawa, or two, two more years in Ottawa, because we were thin in Ottawa. We weren't very good. Um, and despite the team's record... Um, 21 points yeah. out of 82 games. We can do the winning percentage there. <laughs> we don't need analytics there right. to figure out the winning, but we stunk. Uh, but we didn't have the talent. Like right. We were an expansion team, and it wasn't like Vegas. No, it's, it was uh, a whole different animal. There. And um, we won't go into, like Ottawa really didn't deserve to get a team. They didn't really have the money that it took mm-hmm. to build a team. So they were drafting contracts in the expansion draft, players with two-way contracts and, and so on. And uh uh, but anyhow, things were, I had a great last year there. Um, you know, the fans liked me from my Toronto days. They remembered me from my Philadelphia days playing Edmonton Oilers and stuff. And, uh, so it was an excellent last year. Um, and I just expected to play another year. Uh, but once again, they fired Mel Bridgman and, uh, the new group, they wanted to do things their way. And we all get that. So, right. So in the, in the year end meetings, uh, with the new general manager who was Randy Sexton, like I said, I fully expected him to offer me an, at least another one-year contract. Mm-hmm. And so I went into his office and, I, you know, I made a cup of tea. I got the, the, the cup and I put the tea bag in, put the hot water in, and sat down. The tea was steeping and, and he cut right to the chase right away after, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm fine. And, uh, well, we decided not to bring you back this year. And I said, well this conversation's over and let's just left my tea there. I, I never, never even, it didn't even steep. That's how short the conversation was. And, uh, so anyhow, we continued the conversation. And, and as I said, we, um, um, we ended up, uh, uh, I don't know, striking a deal is the right word, but you know, me deciding to stay in Ottawa and become right. director of uh, team and business development up there. And so the funny is, funny thing is, is when I went back into his office, like in the middle of the summer to kind of shape the, the job description and, uh, and more importantly, the salary, um, I asked him if he saved my tea. (laughs) 
my tea must be done now. Uh, but anyhow, uh, it, it was my, our time in Ottawa. I say our time, uh, my wife and four kids, uh, we thoroughly in, enjoyed it there. It was, uh, it was uh, a, a great place to live. And as I said, right at the get-go is our kids, they, they played the hawk. Two of our kids quit, took up speed skating, which is a huge sport in Canada. Oh, wow. And uh, so we just loved every minute of being involved in their in their winter sports activities. It was good. I coached minor hockey and as president of the speed uh, speed skating club, and it was it was just uh, wonderful. I want to wrap up by talking about something that's very important to you with your role now with the Flyers, the the Warrior Hockey Program. And I know I've seen a lot of it, a lot of action on Twitter. For people that aren't familiar, talk about what what is the the Flyers Warrior Hockey Program. Well. It's been, I've done so much in retirement and this is, I must say, one of the most uh, rewarding and, and, and fun and uh, uh, experiences that I've had. And, and uh, so the Warrior Flyers Warrior Hockey Team is uh, for disabled veterans. Um, they, when they're discharged from the Army or they retire from the Army, whatever the proper term is, is, you know, they get their exit mm-hmm. uh, medical and uh, the, you know, the military gives them the rating, as they say. And so they have to have a minimum of 10% uh, disability. Uh, the veterans that we have, they're all standing disabled. Uh, so we don't have sled hockey or, or everyone has their limbs, but they have all, like a hockey player, they're broken down. They got bad knees, bad back, bad shoulders, and, and so on and so on. Uh, and so everybody has something wrong with them, which we've had a lot of laughs at because some have got a lot wrong with them. <laughs> Just like some of my NHL alumni buddies, you know, uh, you know, and it started. Uh, we had a phone call from Rick Stabino, who's a Flyer hockey fan, Flyer fan, and he and he called the Flyers office and said, "Hey, I'm a as I just said, I'm a Flyers fan, I'm a hockey guy. Uh, I want to start a hockey team for vets. Can you help me?" And it was a simple phone call, and uh, so we had a meeting, several meetings, and then we had a learn to skate, a learn to play hockey program, December. Uh, December 4th uh, last year and uh, uh, at uh, Scanlon Ice Rink and a whole bunch of people came out. We gave them skates and a helmet so no one got hurt and uh, and a Flyers Warriors jersey. And then from there we had a practice uh, at the Wells Fargo and a whole bunch of other vets showed up. We had another practice and the outdoor game that we had with Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Whenever an outdoor game happens, they'd like to have a legacy uh, um, a project that stems from that outdoor game. And so uh, we, I say we, uh, my buddy uh, who we work with, Rob Bear, uh, in the community development department, uh, we put forward Flyers Warriors. All kinds of great options on the tables, all kinds of not so great options on the table, but you have to talk through everything because we're working with the NHL and the Flyers. And so anyhow, the Warrior uh, program ended up winning. So they got a grant from the stadium series game of $50,000. And uh, so I'm coaching the team, uh, kind of steering them uh, and working with them on how to build the program and so on. And so the first thing we did, and this is really cool, with the $50,000, we booked a year's worth of ice. And okay. so from the stadium series game, we're on the ice once a week at uh, Skate Zone in Pensacola. And the turnout has been incredible. So in less than a year, um, we have one solid team. We're ready to to uh, to grow into two teams, probably three teams in the next month, and it's just been it's just been wonderful. Uh, we come to practice, and we're the envy of all the other warrior programs um, throughout the United States. And uh, we had training camp form. I mimicked it right after an NHL pro training camp. We had physicals, we had blood work, we had fitness training. We were on there. We had an exhibition game. Anyhow, so our goal right from day one, I said this, our very first practice, and we had some guys that didn't know how to skate. We had some pretty good players. Our goal was to come together as a team uh, to improve our skills on the ice and go to a tournament in Vegas for uh, USA Hockey's uh, mm-hmm. tournament for uh, disabled vets. And so that was October 4th and 5th. Uh, and we went to the tournament, we won. And so it, it's just been incredible. And this program is exploding. Right. Uh, people are reaching out. How can I help? I want to be involved. And uh, like we're growing in leaps. And every, every practice, we have two, three, four new players show up. And if somebody hears this, wants to get involved, 
Should they just reach out to the organization? Is there a website? What should they do? Yeah, well, they can certainly reach out to me at the Flyers, or they can go uh, look up the the Warriors' uh, web pages or social page. They're all over Twitter and all Mm -hmm. that. Just send a message, and uh, and then uh, I'll forward it to our uh, you know off to our recruitment uh, guy on the team, and uh, and uh, they'll get it all happening. It's just been it's just been wonderful, and so we got big plans, man. We 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 got a nice little board formed and. We got some really, really big plans to grow this program because right from day one, our goal was to, to focus on hockey and improve our hockey skills. But the overall foundation of the program was family, uh, to include their wives. We have a Flyers, Flyers uh, Warriors wives uh, uh, um, group now too. They, the wives of all the players get together and do things on their own because it's all about family. It's all about community and improving the quality of, of their lives uh, through sport. And uh, it's just been a wonderful success. So we look to really grow the program uh, because as, uh, as uh, the captain of the team, Jim Young, said that one of the many pre- – we, pre- we win the tournament in Vegas. We come home on a Monday night. We're at City Hall in the mayor's office on Wednesday being recognized by the city of Philadelphia. I mean, like there's so many things happening. So Jim uh, said at that uh, – like – at the at the press conference there like this has been good and it's been really a great experience for all the players involved but there's so many more veterans out there mm-hmm. that we want to reach and so we look to be growing this program over the next weeks months and years and, it, and it's and it's here to stay brad marsh thanks so much for coming by thank you enjoyed it and that will do it for this week's episode. One on One is an original sports podcast from KYW News Radio. If you like this show and want to help us out, make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. And you can help more people find out about the podcast by finding the show on Apple Podcasts and leaving a rating and a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at One on One Pod, and you can follow me on Twitter as well at Matt Leon Ten Sixty. Many thanks to former Flyers defenseman Brad Marsh for stopping by this week. You can follow Brad on Twitter at Brad Marsh NHL. My name is Matt Leon. Come back next week for another good conversation with someone you should know more about.